I want to welcome everyone today to this Agape Christian Fellowship meeting where we are going to discuss generational curses. Now, these meetings are recorded live, and no, they're not professionally done. I'm not in a studio somewhere. This is live, and our fellowship is live. And before we begin fellowship, we always worship the Lord. And today, the Lord appeared to me and gave me a message concerning what I'm going to speak to you about. He said, don't forget that this is knowledge, which is good. It's good to have knowledge, but to rest in him. Our faith needs to be in the fact that he knows all things. We learn his ways. We learn about our kingdom, which is in heaven. But in the end, we rest and we trust in the Lord. He said, don't forget that I have it. I know the past and I know the future. So rest in me today as you learn some of my ways. Now that we have the encouragement from our Lord, we can begin with this message on generational curses. Now, previously, we did discuss how a Christian could have a curse, though many in the body of Christ believe they are non-existent. Yet, they cannot explain why the same thing happened that happened to their parents or grandparents shows up in their life in the lives of their family members. This can be a sickness, a certain attitude that you know isn't really good, <laughs> or an outright sin. And those sins, we can have a hard time avoiding. It seems like we keep falling down the same wrong road every time. Or we have to fight really hard to keep from going in the wrong direction. When we see such a pattern of behavior in our parents or our grandparents or perhaps our aunts or uncles, those who are biologically related to us, even our siblings, if we don't know our parents or weren't, didn't, weren't exposed to our grandparents. When we see these things in the others in our generational line, in our family history, then there's a chance that there is a generational curse from our ancestors. Today, we will be looking at the Old and New Testament and see what God has to say about generational curses. Let's start off in Deuteronomy 5, verse 9. This is the Amplified Classic Version. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities upon the, of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. This shows that there are certain sins that can pass down some negative effects for several generation, generations. We know Jesus came to redeem us from the curse of the law. That's what it says in the New Testament. It's the curse of the law, and that word is singular. Any part of the law, you would go to hell and you would miss eternity with God. And we know all mankind sins because it is written that all have come short of the glory of God. 
So that is a singular curse that is removed when you take Jesus as Lord. There are other curses, that's plural, many different types of curses that were determined by the actual sin that you committed or your ancestors committed. These curses can be passed down through the generational line due to sin. That is where we get generational curse from. In Ephesians 4, 26 through 27, it says, when angry, do not sin, do not ever let your wrath last until the sun goes down. Leave no such room or foothold for the devil. Give no opportunity to him. So this is one place of many in the New Testament that encourages us to turn from our sin. If sin had no effect on our life, if it didn't matter, if not, there were no consequences for it, then why would God continue to urge us to turn from it? In this particular scripture, we see that it gives a place to the enemy to attack our lives. Now, if we go to the Old Testament, we see in Lamentations 3, verse 22 and 23, that it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. This is what the Lord was talking about. There is mercy. Yes, there are generational curses. And yes, there are consequences for sin. But the Lord is merciful. So we don't want to focus too much on the, on the effects of sin. But we need to know that there are. And it's God's mercy that is new every day, which means there must be new judgments every day. This is why we are encouraged in the New Testament back in Ephesians to remove any sin immediately before the sun goes down. Because when that sun rises again, it's a new day and the enemy may place charges against us. Now, when the sin belongs to our ancestors, they're labeled as generational curses and may be really more like a stronghold for a demon to influences influence influence us it's like a the, the enemy gets extra strength it has a little position in our life to push us into negative behaviors that can be seen all along our family line it's like our dna they seem, these negative traits seem to be passed for our ancestors until we begin to think it's just who we are. If our mother or father was an alcoholic or had trouble forgiving others, was super harsh in their judgments, well, we can be fooled into accepting that's really just us, when actually it's a stronghold for the enemy to allow him to move into our life, to bring sickness, attack, he can attack our relationships or wreck our finances. You see, these traits, they produce a particular type of behavior, and it's actually demonically influenced due to prior sins. It can be our ancestor sins, but often we have to sin as well. We, we have to accept that by operating in some sort of sin. When we continue to operate in those traits, which are really sins, they're wrong behaviors, demonically influenced behaviors that's giving the enemy more room to move in our life, well, then that's when an attachment can develop or a stronghold can deepen. When we know how ancestral curses impact us, we can confess for the sins of our ancestors 
like they did in Daniel 9. And this will, when we confess and repent for ourselves, the way we have opened up the door to them, then it's completely shut. It will allow the Lord to remove charges in the courts of heaven and remove access from the, remove the access of those enemy spirits. Let's continue. A generational curse is revealed when parents, grandparents, great-grandparents all commit the same sin over and over again. First, you have to find it in your own life, how you contributed. Then you can confess your sin and renounce theirs. You plead the blood over your ancestors' sin and yours as well. We see the need for this in the New Testament. Matthew 23, 26, you blind Pharisees first clean the inside of a, the cup and the plate, then the outside also may also be clean. You see, we must take care of the sin in our lives. We must clean it out and then the rest will be clean. This includes internal sins that the world may not see. We have to repent or turn from that sin in order to remove the curse from our life. Proverbs 26, verse 2 in the King James Version, as the bird by wandering, as the swallow by flying, so the curse causeless can, shall not come. You see, a curse has to have a reason to stick to you. That is the sin that is in agreement with the ancestor's sin. In Deuteronomy 5, Verse 9, the King James Version, you should not bow down yourself unto them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord, my, thy God, is, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity, the sins of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. The word hate is the Hebrew word same, which can also be translated as enemy. So in other words, God says, if you are an enemy against me because you're, sin, you're in sin, and being aligned with the enemy, then there are consequences to future generations. Sins are actions against God's ways and his kingdom. It gives, it aligns us with Satan instead of God, and it gives a curse a place to stand. Now, when we talk about generational curses, there are two ways, two ways that the enemy may come into our lives through these curses that travel along the ancestral line. First, there are sins, and second, there are agreements. Curses can be activated by the actions of our ancestors, but must be dealt with in different ways, each one of these, the sins or the agreements. So let's look at sins first. Sins are the easiest. If it's just merely a sin that's going on in your life and your ancestor's life, it's pretty easy. But we want to see it in the Word of God to fully understand it. Ezekiel 18, verse 20, in the Amplified Classic Version. The soul that sins is the one that shall die. The son shall not bear and be punished for the iniquity of the father. Neither shall the father bear the punishment or for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him only, and the wickedness upon the wickedness shall be upon the wicked only. Now, this verse has been used to claim that there are no generational curses, and it seems to say that the sins of our offsprings or our ancestors cannot affect us. 
this this um hmm this interpretation this revelation of this verse is only apparent if it's taken out of contact a context let's look more into this verse right before this verse in ezekiel 12 18 you have to go back a couple of verses it says yet do not say why does a son why does not the son bear the iniquity of the father when the son has done that which is lawful and right and has kept all my statues and has done them he shall surely live you see the lord is telling us that if you don't do the same sin as your ancestors then you're not going to bear that the same guilt you're not going to that curse is not going to travel along the line but if you do commit the same sin well then there's a reason for it to stand in order for the sins of our fathers to affect us we must not walk in the same sin when the enemy knows that there's a possibility for activating a curse he puts extra pressure on us to commit the same type of sin as our ancestors so that he has a place in our life it's funny because we we tend to think of all sin is equal when in actuality well all sin is equal but if our ancestors committed let's say murder well we may get super angry and have that anger that the lord talked about that is the same as murder which is a sin so just because it was a one hmm one depth of sin does not mean it's a lighter sin is will keep the curse from you so just know that that's the reason why we need appointments where we can hear from the holy spirit to understand which sin it is and how we are walking in agreement with a sin of our ancestors so leviticus 4 14 in in the american king james version says when the sin which they have sinned against it is known then the congregation shall offer offer a young bullock for the sin and bring him before the tabernacle of the congregation okay so if you read the book of leviticus from the chapter four on you will see that every time there's a sin offering you must be aware you, it must be known to you in order to make a sacrifice for it if we do not know how we're sinning we can't confess we can't rightly confess for it remember confess means to see it the way god does well if we don't know what it is how can we confess so knowing our, our sin is so important so let's look here today at a story one of the very first people we helped in the courts of heaven was a red-headed acquaintance of mine let's call her lucy like many with flaming hair her temper was just as fiery as her mane when lucy got really mad she would explode both with words and deed later she would regret her actions but she just couldn't seem to stop herself in the courts charges came forth concerning her ancestors even though she was adopted when the charges came up she knew her biological mother was guilty of these sins she had heard stories both she and her sisters were guilty of many of them as well 
This marked it as a generational curse. Those unrepented sins, along with the angry outburst, allowed that particular curse to remain in her life. After confessing for herself and her ancestors and applying the blood of Jesus, the charges were overruled. Now, the first week after her visit to the courts, Lucy found that she was, that just as she was able or about to have an outburst, she was able to stop and turn around and leave the room. Of course, sometimes she would slam a hand down, sometimes she would make a gesture, but with each incident, she would ask forgiveness and plead the blood over the actions that she had committed, that she had just barely stopped, you know, after it. During the next month or so, she was able to catch her temper after a single word or a hand slapping a lot upon the wall. Six months after the visit to the courts, she felt like the anger was coming from outside of her. It was so foreign, it was almost laughable. So now Lucy could easily push the behavior aside. After a time, it never returned. When we break a generational curse, that demon will look for a look to come back into our lives. He, we will be tested. You have to be willing to stop the sin that you were walking in that was connected to your ancestor's sin. Praise God that that's all we need today. We don't have to sacrifice an animal. We don't have to go to a temple somewhere. All we have to do is make our confession, plead the blood of Jesus. Because of what our Lord has done, we will be freed. You actually don't even have to go into the courts. The, the same ancestral sins and, and your, where you have gone wrong can be revealed by the Holy Spirit even outside of the courts of heaven. In Luke 11, 24, 26, by the way, in the English Standard Version, it tells us about those spirits who will come back and test us. It says, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through the waterless places seeking rest and finding none of it. It says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes and finds a house swept and put in order, then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the state and the last state of the person is worse than the first. When we remove a curse, the enemy will leave, sometimes for a few days or a month or a few months. But when he returns, he will test it and see if you are truly filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with the love of the Lord. And the Holy Spirit will warn you and that you're being tested so you can turn from it. We must not go back into that same sin. So that's, those are the easy ones to get free of. I guess really with the Lord, they're all easy, just a little more complicated. We have agreements. Now there are several types of agreements that can be entered into by our ancestors that can affect us. There are oaths and covenants, dedications and sacrifices. These actions can be done with or without blood. Unlike other curses that last for only three or four years, when there are agreements with the enemy, they will remain until the agreement expires, if there was a time frame, or until they are renounced and a payment is made for that agreement. 
the blood of Jesus has made the price, has paid the price for us to be free. But our confession must be made. Some sacrifices and oaths can sneak into our generational line. In some nations, there are shrines outside of cities and villages. It used to be customary, maybe it still is, that in order to enter a city, you would have to place a sacrifice by a shrine. You would think, oh, what harm is that? Is there in that? I'm just putting something along the roadside. Well, actually, this is worshiping another god. And it's offering a sacrifice to this other god. And it may allow a demon to attach to us and be passed on to future generations. Once someone in the family line commits a sin connected to the worshiping of other gods or idolatry, that curse will then be active in our life. Since this is super common in some areas, let's look at the sin of idolatry. First Samuel, Samuel 15, verse 23 in the American King James Version. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he's also rejected you from being king. That was said to Saul, right? So idolatry is not just bowing down to some statue or making an offering outside of town. That's not the only form of idolatry. It is an action when we are stubbornly sticking to certain actions that do not line up with the word of God. When we do that, we are placing our desires above God. We are placing ourselves above God because we, are, we want something so badly. We think this is so right. We are going to be so stubborn and not going to listen to God. That stubbornness is idolatry. Colossians 3, verse 5 in the English Standard Version. Mortify, therefore, your members which are of the earth, fornication, uncleanliness, inordinate affection, evil occupancies, and covetedness, which is idolatry. So when you desire that which others have, sometimes that desire can be so strong, we, we begin focusing on what other people have and coveting what they have. And putting that above God, that too is idolatry. You know, I was thinking about this verse, and I'm not so sure each one of these sins aren't idolatry. Fornication is putting your physical passions above God. Un um, uncleanliness is refusing to remove sin from your life. I believe that's metaphorical. Inordinate affection. I think they're kind of maybe possibly referring to homosexuality there, which, or it could be an over and overly affectionate way you are. Again, putting that's focusing on something and putting above God's ways. Okay, so any of those, I think, may actually be idolatry. It's, it's hard to know which one it is referring to. But unless you find the root of idolatry in your life, you've been renouncing all the sins, possible sins for your ancestors, renouncing agreements, dedications, and oaths won't do you any good. You must first find the sin in your own life, then renounce your ancestors' sins so the curse can be broken. 
The next thing we want to discuss are blood rituals. Remember, any of these agreements can be done with blood. Using blood in a ritual is common practice in secret societies all around the world. It is used in witchcraft and sorcery, witch doctors, soothsayers, all of these things. They can use blood in their dealings. And when blood is involved, the agreement, the agreement that has been entered into with the enemy has an additional witness against you and your ancestors in the courts of heaven. Remember Genesis 4.10 in the American King James Version says, what have you done? The voice, the voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. In Numbers 35.33, so you, so you shall not pollute the land wherein you are, for blood it defiles the land. When blood is shed, it will always speak of how it was shed. And that, that voice of the blood can be used as testimony in the courts of heaven. The more blood that is shed, the bigger the judgment that comes with it. The land itself can be polluted. Now, blood, blood rituals in any form of agreement requires a witness. It requires somebody to speak something. Paul said... In the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. This is 2 Corinthians 13, 1. One witness is from the person declaring the statement of what you're going to receive by spilling this blood. Sometimes you yourself or your ancestors will, will be asked to repeat something. The other is the blood that cries out from the ground, the blood that is spilled. Those are two witnesses that will always be against you when blood is shed. Well, praise God that we have blood of our own that is more powerful than any cry of blood. It is the blood of Jesus that cries out from the ground for mercy. Remember, even for those who hung him on the cross and were spitting and mocking him, Jesus cried out to the Father for mercy. That is the cry of his blood. And it will trump any other blood that has been shed or agreed with in any way, no matter how great the amount of blood that is shed our Lord's blood is sufficient. All of these agreements, all of these items we have spoken about, they may be written out between our ancestors and whoever they entered into. But even if it's actually not written down in the earth, it is written down in Satan's kingdom. It will take a verbal confession to remove any of these agreements with the enemy, along with the blood of Jesus as the payment that redeems you and frees you from that agreement. Now, I've actually seen this in visits to the courts of heaven on many occasions, <laughs> not every time, but on occasion, we will have somebody who confesses and uh, for themselves and their ancestors and I will see a piece of paper placed before the Lord, a document that has been drawn up happens almost instantaneously and he will place his hand down on top of that document and when he pulls it back up in blood is written paid in full it is literally stamped with his blood his payment is sufficient
Now, in the other books of the Academy, you will see scriptures about why the blood needs to be applied to sins. You'll find more proof. So I'm not going to state them all here today. And once you have read those things and you have the faith that comes in with the word of God, then you're ready to, to use it. Remember, it takes faith. Faith is good. We have to have faith to rest in what he's done and know that his effort is sufficient. We find that faith when we read the word of God, when we rest in him. But sometimes we need help finding the root cause. Sometimes that's what the Holy Spirit's for. He is our counselor, both in the courts of heaven and here on earth. And once you complete the core classes at the Academy 101 to 401, then you can schedule an appointment for intercession if there's unresolved issues. But while you're going through the classes, if God reveals a sin to you that is generational, you should take the following steps. First of all, you must acknowledge that both you and your ancestors have sinned. Then you acknowledge that the mighty judge of heaven and earth was right to judge you and your ancestors. And you have been justly, rightly being afflicted by the enemy. But then, but then you plead the precious blood of Jesus over these sins your sins and the sins of your ancestors. After that, you can, you don't have to, but this is optional. You can ask the Lord, Lord to contend for you in the courts of heaven. He's up there all the time, night and day. He's contending for us. And he'll remove any case where the sins have been blotted out. Then you can also ask the Lord to remove any curse that no longer has a place in your life because the sins have been blotted out. You can also ask him to restore all the enemy has taken from you. Those last two are strictly optional because the Lord is good. He has your best interest at heart. And when you start taking care of business, I guarantee he will take care of business in the courts of heaven. God sent his only begotten son to live among his creation. And because of his great love for you, he also died for you. God has a very good destiny, a great purpose for each and every person. He has one for you. There is hope in Jesus. And once we become aware of what's against us, it's very easy to remove because of what he's done. But don't get distracted by all of the information. Keep your eyes focused on him. He knows what is necessary. He's got grace and mercy until you figure it out. Just keep going one step at a time and along the way, you'll get more and more freedom. May the Holy Spirit, your counselor in heaven, make you aware of any generational curse you need to remove. That is our message today. Shalom.